this evening, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Brahma Viharas, which are the heart practices. Last week, I talked about love in a, in a bigger sense. I, I talked about metta and the metta sutta, which is the, the teaching on um, uh, really coming to uh, this world or cultivating a way of living in this world where um, we have a, a, a sense of goodwill for all. Um, that's what the Metta Sutta says. We are um, omitting none. We wish all beings ease. We wish all beings well-being. Well, uh, yeah, all beings well-being. We, we omitting none. I mean, it's really quite um, um, clear on how it puts that. It's like all beings, period. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk a little bit more about metta, but also about the rest of the heart practices. Um, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity, and not just in um, how, what they're about or how we um, cultivate them, but um, from the idea of the idea of the near enemies, because what near enemies is, is they're, um, as the way they're taught, traditionally, you have loving kindness, but you also have the near enemy of loving kindness, which is Close enough to think that's what it is, but not really. There's the far enemy of loving kindness, which is anger and hatred, which is quite obvious. It's like, well, I'm not in loving kindness. I'm in hatred. That they're they're quite they're quite um, clearly delineated. But these these near um, these near enemies can tie us up and take us down the wrong road a lot of times unless we're paying attention. And as with everything, mindfulness is the foundation of, of the practice. Mindfulness is the foundation of what we're doing. We have to pay attention. I think Sylvia Borstein, Sylvia Borstein wrote a book called Pay Attention for Goodness Sake or something like that. I mean, just really, really, really basic. And um, so with the, the near enemies, uh, they are, um, well, with any of these Brahma Viharas, any of these heart practices, something that I heard years ago, which makes a lot of sense, it says, if you're doing any of these practices or if you're cultivating any of these practices, they should not invite suffering. They should not invite discomfort or dissatisfaction or, or kind of um, uncomfortable feelings and or stress, they shouldn't stress you out. And if they do, then you're probably in a near enemy rather than really in the practice. They can be difficult. It can be difficult to cultivate them because we may not, we may have some serious conditioning kind of saying, no, you're not worthy of love. You're not worthy of compassion. But that's a little bit different from moving in a different direction of, of, um, of this, this, this idea of the near enemy. And the one thing that is also true about all these heart practices is that they are unconditional. Just like I said in the Metta Sutta, where it talks about this should be done by all beings, um, and we should, we should come to the world with this, this, this um, I keep wanting to say aura, 
but that's not the word I mean, but just this, this, this sense of loving kindness towards all beings, not holding animosity in our hearts for anyone. It's really um, wishing all beings well, you know, caring for everyone as we would uh, a mother cares for her child. I, I, just, I have to say, I talked about, I have to talk about this. It just popped into my head. I saw a show last night um, called Lackawanna Blues, and it's actually the second time I saw it. I saw it a couple of weeks with a friend ago with a friend of mine, and then my, my husband, um, I knew he would enjoy it, so we went last night. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with it or have seen it, but it's a, it's a one-man show, and it was, I guess it was off-Broadway in like 19 years ago, around 2000, 2001, and then it was a, a T, an HBO special. And then he brought it back, and it's this man's, um, that's a one-man show, and it's his recollection of growing up in Lackawanna, New York, which is outside Buffalo in, like, the 50s and 60s, and his, and his he calls her nan, Nanny, Nana. Um, she wasn't related to him, but she kind of took care of him because his parents couldn't take care of him. Um, but she was, like, the matriarch of this town of Lackawanna, and she had this, 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 um, I keep saying aura, this, this foundation of loving kindness for everyone, for everyone. She wasn't a pushover by any means. That's really, that's really the important piece to remember. She had strict boundaries, and she didn't take shit from anyone. But she wished everyone well, and there was this one really poignant... Well, there's a one-man show, but he did all these characters that he knew and that were around... Um, this woman, this matriarch, and she she was with a guy who, for many, many, many years, they were together. I don't know if they were married or not, but he he kind of fooled around with lots of people, and there was this, and she had a couple of boarding houses, and there was this young young girl, nineteen maybe, living in one of the boarding houses, and she came up to um, um, Nana, and she said, "I I'm just not, um, I can't." I, I'm just not worthy of being in your presence. And, she's, and the woman said, sit down, honey. You know, just sit down and have something to eat. How old are you? You're only 19. You're good. And she said, I'm pregnant with Bill's baby. And Bill was this woman's um, boyfriend, this, her husband, so to speak. And so there was a pause. And Nana looked, paused, and she says, well, you're going to have to find it. I'm going to have to find you another place to live but sit down and have something to eat. You know, it was just this powerful example of unconditional love and compassion, you know? Um, it could, I can see it so easy going off into punching that, that young woman out, but she didn't go to that direction. She was able to have compassion and say, sit down, have something to eat, and you're going to have to leave. You're going to have to leave. So, you know, that just was, that for me is a tremendous example of this unconditional, this practice of loving kindness and compassion for others. That's like, that's like, um, and, compassion and compassion for herself too. Yeah, you, you can't stay here. That's the, that's the, that's the self-compassion. Absolutely. But yeah. it's yeah. at the Mark Taper. Yeah, yeah, it was it was absolutely brilliant. It's going to be there another week or two. If you have a chance, go see it. Have you seen it? Did you not in your head? Oh yeah, was it? How'd you like it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was like, yeah, it was good. Um, so 
Jack Hornfield, when he talks about the near the near enemies, he says they masquerade as spiritual qualities, but it really becomes like a spiritual bypass. And a spiritual bypass is where we think we're doing the spiritually um, efficient or spiritually appropriate uh, thing, but we're really just bypassing um, and and taking the easy way out, going where we think we need to be without having to feel or think or look and we start judging from a place of spiritual superiority and when you have that spiritual superiority all of a sudden you're getting into this practice of separation there's this I'm here and you're there and we're all spiritual but I'm kind of further along than you are so let me help you with this you know, there's that that flavor of it, and that's not what it's about. That's kind of a smug way to be separate. Um, and and uh, so, oh, I have I have 27 pages of notes, and so um, yeah, anything again, anything that causes separation in our thinking or others, us from a people is um, is not a Brahma Vihara. It's not a hard practice. So if you start getting into that realm where you're seeing us and them, it's that's not true. That's a near enemy. More specifically, the near enemy of loving kindness is, um, where did it go? Is conditional love. Is wanting, is, is holding your, um, your love hostage. I will give you this, I will open my heart to you if, you know, there's, there's a condition on it. It's like, I cannot love you unless you show up in the way I want you to. That's a conditioning. That's a, you're putting a condition on it. And, and loving kindness metta is absolutely unconditional. Again, there's a boundary like with, um, Miss Rachel, her name is also Rachel, Miss Rachel. She would say, I love you and you have to go away. You know, this is this, but you have to leave. It's just this real, this real clarity of not hardening your heart to anyone, because hardening your heart doesn't do anything to the other person. I was talking about this last week. It only impacts you. You're the one. What's the saying? You drink poison and wait for them to die. It doesn't work that way. You have to really make the effort to soften your heart to other people. So that's what practicing, I wish all beings goodwill. I wish some of them out of my life. Some of them are causing harm and they need to need to stop causing harm. But I'm not going to hold ill will towards them. I'm not going to, you know, that that we may go there, but just know what you're doing when you do it. This is not, none of this is easy stuff. I'm not, you know, none of this is, is oh yeah, I got it. It takes time. It takes practice. It takes effort. It takes seeing where we're stuck. That's what this mindfulness again is. It's about paying attention and seeing clearly. Oh, this is a this is a wall for me. This is this is this is someplace I'll I'll, I'll not get to or I'm not there yet. And what I would invite you to do is not say no, never, but not right now. You know, set the intention. It's like. Man, what a hell of an intention to have loving kindness in my heart for all beings. 
intellectually, I think that's an awesome idea. So I'm going to let that lay around over here and, and kind of set my intention and do it as much as I can. Practice it as much as I can. Did I talk about it last week where I used to say, bless your heart, and not, not being from the South? I didn't know the, the, what it really meant. I mean, I'm like, bless your heart, because they didn't want to say, fuck you. I said, bless your heart, you know, <laughs> just to keep me from going, Argh. but it's, it's an action. It's an action, and it's a step in the direction. So finding where you're stuck, finding where your uh, is, I don't know the word for that, but finding where, you're, you're, where you are stuck and um, saying, okay, this is, this is the difficult place for me. And recognizing that. But just instead of going off into conditions, well, I will love them if. Just saying, I can't, I can't soften my heart to them, but my intention is to get there sometime. So you're not moving into the near enemy. You're very clearly seeing that you're not there yet. So there's a difference. You're not fooling yourself by thinking, oh, they're just, they're just if they would only find Buddhism, then. If there's, if there's a... If there's an if-then, red flag. Watch out for the if-thens, because that's setting up a condition. That's setting up a separation. So, And then the, um, uh, the uh, yeah, and then we have to really be careful about um, being attached to an outcome of our loving-kindness practice. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm being kind to you, and you're not... You know, it's not turning out the way I want. Especially when you do a meta practice. I always say meta is not magic pixie dust because we think we sprinkle meta on things and like, I'm going to offer meta to the world. How come it's not getting better? And it's because it's not magic pixie dust. It's because it's about softening your own heart. That's what it's about. So, And then, of course, the opposite of, of loving kindness is anger and hatred. And I think when you're carrying that, it's kind of obvious. And to not judge yourself over that. We are conditioned beings. We, we react because of how we were brought up. We react just because of the nature of the situation we're in. But to recognize that, oh, anger, hatred, not necessarily the wisest, most skillful place to be. And to not beat yourself up for it. Just try not to act on it. You know, just to recognize, oh, here's some anger. Here's some fierce, fierce, unpleasant emotion. Can I just hold that and take a, take a step back from it instead of saying, I hate you? Because then you're just kind of lost in it, but just saying, oh, there's some hatred or anger arising. How do I hold that? How do I hold that with compassion for myself? Because it's not pleasant, because it's not what we're raising our hand to experience. So that's, that's for loving kindness. Um, the next one is uh, uh, compassion. That's the next heart practice. When we are <laughs> greeted with pain, the appropriate response is compassion. Karuna is the word in Pali. It means a quivering of the heart. We feel the, the suffering of the world. But where we don't go is with pity. That is when you cause into the, 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 um, the near enemy. And that, if you think about it, there's a separation. Poor you. You've, you know, you, instead of being touched by something, 
you're going, oh, you're over there experiencing that, and I'm over here experiencing this. We can get judgy about it, too. If they only. All of that may be true, but that's not what we want to carry. We don't want to carry and come from that space of holding this judging kind of a thing. Um, Or being overcome with grief. That doesn't serve either. That's kind of just getting lost in the emotion. As I was talking about with anger, instead of becoming lost, we just recognize that it's there. I can't remember where it was, but somebody was recently talking about the Dalai Lama and talking about how much suffering he has to hear about. Maybe it was James Barras in the Awakening Joy course. He was talking about um, difficult emotions. and um, I think he was talking about Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama wrote a book about dealing with grief and sadness. And, and I think it was a book about joy and how to be with this tremendous amount of suffering in the world and, and the sadness and suffering of people you know, like the Dalai Lama's people and who have been, you know, um, sent into exile, and so much tragedy in the world. Yet, if you notice, really um, very spiritual people have this light demeanor to them. They're not overcome by suffering. They let it, they just receive it and let it pass through. They don't hold on to it. We don't hold on to these things. We just, we are touched by them, but we don't claim. We don't hold on. While it's there, it's there. We experience it, then we let it go. So we're not overcome. We don't get into this othering of pity, and we're not overcome. Because that's when we are overcome and we just nurture this grief, nurture this um, place of, I can't, I can't enjoy myself if everyone else in the world is suffering so mightily. Because what that is, it's a denial of your experience. If you are having, if you are in a place where there's joy arising, and you're going, no, then you're denying the experience. And if you look at your own lives, if you really look at your own lives without the veil of judgment, there can be great sadness, and then two minutes later, there can be great joy. It's this 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows that are kind of chugging along all the time. And when we're paying attention, we can be with whatever's arising in each moment. It's really quite extraordinary. That's why, you know, the moment, a, a lifetime lasts a breath. The, you know, the, the Buddha was talking to some of his um, students and his assistants, and they were saying, how long is a lifetime? Is it 60 years? Is it 70 years? Is it 80 years? And he's like, it's three or four seconds. It's a half a breath. That's a lifetime because that's what we have. We have exactly what's here. Everything else is we're carrying with us from back there. What's present right now? What's in this breath? If it's joy, be with it. If it's, if it's sadness, be with it. So when we're talking about compassion, be with it when it's there. But don't cling to it as a badge. Don't be a martyr. When I was a little girl, I wanted to be a martyr. It might have been the Catholic school. I don't know, but I, I, I romanticized it. I don't think I knew anything about it, but it's like, 
because you know I read the little books and half the saints were all martyrs. So I was like, that looks like fun. Um, <laughs> anyway, some of us keep that conditioning with us years and years and years, or some of us show up in ways that we're martyred, and we think that that's a thing. We think we're being compassionate when we're not. When we're not, when we're be, that's being overcome by the idea of what it's supposed to be like. So really investigate if that's if that is causing any kind of discomfort or you're othering in any way. Let go of it. Let go of it because that's that's a danger with um, compassion. Um, and then the opposite of, of compassion is wishing others ill will of cruelty of really just being mean and nasty and just not only sticking the knife in but turning it maybe doing one of these things you know, just that's that's just you know kicking them when they're down that's the opposite of compassion and i don't think anybody in this room does that on a daily basis but we probably have it we can probably do that i know we we um even just for a split second, and I know I can do it verbally. I have done it verbally. That's I wouldn't do it physically, but I could do it verbally. It can be, we can be really cruel with our words, especially if we feel we've been wronged. So be willing to honestly look at how we show up. How do we show up? And not say, oh, I'm such a bad person, but say, oh, man, this is my deep conditioning. And as I'm now, my one of my favorite quotes from Lama Rod Owens is like, "Yeah, our conditioning is not our fault, but we are responsible for taking care of it. We are responsible for seeing it, and waking up to it, and not not perpetuating it. <clears throat> really doing the hard work to address it. So when you start coming to groups like this, and you start closing your eyes or opening your eyes, and when you start practicing this this mindfulness." of really being present for what is happening, this, this stuff starts showing up and you start having a real clear view of what you're, how you're showing up, what the stories are, where you're stuck, and how you're walking out in the world. And so to, this is a practice of full accountability. So when we do get into these places of practicing cruelty or practicing othering, or really being driven by our emotions or our conditioning to say, oh, <coughs> own it. I own it. And my intention is not to do that anymore. And I'm going to keep going in a direction and taking actions away from that behavior because it causes harm to others and to myself. That's a really good question. Is your action causing harm to you or others? If the answer is no, then it's probably good. If the answer is yes, you might want to investigate that. The next one is um, the most challenging one for me, which is appreciative joy. Not so much anymore, but it was it was pretty challenging. And that's being happy for the good fortune of all others, the wholesome good fortune of others. Not when they rob a bank and they're rich and you're happy for them. It's the, it's when that you know somebody. There you have to make that distinction. When somebody falls in love or somebody gets a job that they've been dreaming about or something else happens that's really, really good, you know, um, you want to be happy for them. Anybody have problems with that? Because we, <laughs> we come from a culture of lack. 
And if you get yours, then where's mine? There's not going to be enough left. And so I'm like, eh, yeah, I'm happy for you, eh, but not really. So the practice of really being happy for the good fortune of others can be incredibly challenging. Um, you know, sympathetic joy here refers to the potential of bliss and happiness of all sentient beings. We all can become enlightened. We don't demean or judge. You know, and the near enemy is hypocrisy or affectation or comparison. Like, well, you only got that because, or being happy but just being hypocritical, you know, talking behind their back. Did you see them? You know, that othering again, that judging, that putting yourself, separating yourself from the other person. It's really can be challenging. Generosity is a really good um, practice for mudita. You know, open, opening up and, and really being willing to share with others. That takes away that fear of, of lack, that missing out that we have so much of. And um, there's a quote by Voltaire that I love. And he talks about appreciation, which is this appreciative joy. And he says, it makes what is excellent in others belong to us as well. When can, we can really come to this place of mudita, of appreciative joy, it makes what's excellent in others or their good fortune belong to us as well. We can share in it with them. We can be happy for their happiness. It's really a lovely place to be because you don't have to do anything. You can just be sitting there and have somebody's joy rub off on you. That's like, cool, cool. Let it, let it, be, let it be so. You know, even if you don't care about it, I find that when you really bring effort to this practice, you can be happy for people even if they're doing something you don't care about. You can be happy for them just because they're happy. You don't need to have to agree with what makes them happy. I can't believe they're happy about that. That's that judging. That's that separation. But just that openness and that joy, you know? Or joy tinged with identification. It's like, I'm happy because my team won. It's like, just be happy because, just because, not owning or bringing ego into it. Um, and of course, the other side of it is um, jealousy. You know, jealousy. When somebody has happiness or joy and you're jealous. Because that can lead to all kinds of stuff. That can lead to talking crap about them. That can lead to sabotage. That can lead to all kinds of things. So really being cautious. Owning that jealousy is there. Again, with any of these, these unwholesome, unskillful emotions that arise, like the anger or, or hatred or whatever, when jealousy, when any of these show up, acknowledge that they're there. You don't need to be so spiritually advanced that you think they're not supposed to be there. They are there. Acknowledge them, but don't act on them. Let them have a seat on the couch. Give them some donuts. To say, have to sit over here. Have some tea. But then you have to leave. <laughs> you don't have to leave. You can let them sit there. Yeah. Just don't, just don't invite them into the into the fray. <clears throat> don't own it. Don't say I'm so jealous. Again, just say, oh, jealousy is showing up. Okay. It might be here the rest of my life, but it doesn't mean I have to act on it. 
just having that balance that that oh what's the next one equanimity that balance with whatever's happening that's the next heart practice which is that appropriate response to anything appropriate response to whatever arises we're balanced with it um and it's i love that i love the um I love the uh, idea of equanimity as that absolute um, intimacy with your experience with it, without needing it to be different from the way it is. Just letting your experience be what it is. And if you're greeted with pain, you're, you, you, you come to it with compassion. If you're greeted with joy, you return the joy. And you just walk around with this, this flavor of, of well-being, wishing well for all beings. Wishing well for all beings. We don't distinguish between friend or enemy or stranger, but regard every sentient being as equal. It's a clear-minded, tranquil state of mind, not being overpowered by delusion, mental dullness, or agitation. And the near enemy is indifference. You know, so there's a real important investigation because there's equanimity of really being touched by the pain, being touched by the joy, or the indifference of like, which is just shutting down and saying, yeah, whatever, you know, whatever. That's like, yeah, I'm, I'm so spiritually advanced, I don't feel that. So if you see this common thread here, the, these heart practices do not deny our humanity. They don't absolve us from feeling even things which are unpleasant. But we're not, we're not um, caught up in them. Whereas if we're in this place of indifference, we're just, um, we're just cut off. We've got, an, we've got a wall around our heart saying, I'm, I don't need to feel. I'm good. Yeah, no big deal. Whatever. Get over it. You know, you go into that kind of place. So there's a, there's a difference there. There's a flavor there. And again, this practice can help you begin to um, investigate that. Is that what you're doing? Not saying you're bad. Not saying you're wrong. It's just like, oh, where am I with this? What's my wall? What's my, where am I stuck? What's causing me difficulty? What's causing me discomfort? And be willing to say, oh, yeah, maybe I'm a little indifferent and it's just kind of our, our, our conditioning our personality it's how we roll and uh, some of us have tendencies towards this some of us have tendencies towards that it doesn't matter we're all different and we just have to find our own way with this stuff so uh, I have a whole bunch of quotes from the Dalai Lama here I don't know how that happened um, one of them is this one I like. It's, it's actually, this is not from the Dalai Lama. It's uh, from, the, uh, uh, from Thich Nhat Hanh. And it's, uh, he says, um, we practice loving kindness to over overcome anger. Loving kindness has the capacity to bring happiness to others without demanding anything in return. We practice compassion to overcome cruelty. Compassion has the capacity to remove the suffering of others without expecting anything in return. We practice sympathetic joy to overcome hatred. Sympathetic joy arises when one rejoices over the happiness of others and wishes others well-being and success. And we practice non-attachment or equanimity to overcome prejudice. 
Non-attachment is the way of looking at all things openly and equally. That is because that is because that is. Practice them. Oh, myself and others are not separate. Do not reject one thing only to chase after another. I call these the four immeasurables. Practice them and you will become a refreshing source of vitality and happiness for others. And that's from uh, Old Path White Clouds by Thich Nhat Hanh. So um, there's a whole set of practices that support the cultivation of the heart practices, the Brahma Viharas. Um, there's, there are meditation practices where we recite phrases, whether you're doing metta or loving kindness or compassion or uh, equanimity or um, appreciative joy. And they're well worth doing. And they are, uh, can be really difficult. The ones for self can be really difficult. The ones for difficult people can be very difficult. Actually, different people find different ones difficult. But I have done these. I've practiced these. I took, a, I think it was about a year I spent going through these. And um, it wasn't an aha. Well, it wasn't a, a you know, a, a thunderbolt kind of experience. It was a, a longer, more subtle change and shift and outlook that if I wasn't paying attention, I wouldn't have noticed the difference. But I, for people I talk to, it really makes a difference. And if you've, if you've not read Loving Kindness by Sharon Salzberg, I recommend it. It's a really excellent book. She goes, she goes deeply into these practices in, in a wise, wise way. And uh, so if you're interested, that's, that's what I would recommend for that. Um, yeah, so uh, well worth the effort. Um, and I have, I think I'm out of words. So uh, I'm happy to field any questions or comments or thoughts or.